This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. everybody, welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of October 5th, 2023. I'm Charles Sane. I'm here with screenwriter and writer extraordinaire Jason Hillerman. Hey, good morning. We're here to talk about the deal terms of the WGA contract and what this means for the future of Hollywood, what we can learn from the aftermath of previous strikes. Literally SAG and the MPTP are sitting down today. Also, the streamers have started their own organization. There's a lot to unpack here as we figure this all out. First off, let's talk deal terms. If you are not obsessive about this, you might not have read the deal terms. I know Jason and I both read them probably within an hour of them coming out. Jason, you want to hit the highlights for us? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I read it like it was my job, pun intended. It's funny, we record, you know, on Mondays. So last Wednesday night, I went to the Palladium in Hollywood where the WGA had their one of their several WGA West explainers, right? So we went through the whole deal. Negotiating committee was there, the board of directors. There was a really fun question and answer session afterwards where people addressed, you know, what they thought might be questions about the negotiating and also about how deal points would play out. So I feel like, I guess, like, okay,ly versed in this, you know, and a lot of a lot of a new deal is just working and then seeing it in action. But the headlines are really strong. You know, when we went into this strike, the big things we were looking for were obviously raises. You know, inflation has been crazy. LA is an expensive place to live. So, you know, getting those minimums a little bit higher. The other big questions were AI, right? How do we treat artificial intelligence and things written by artificial intelligence, not just within Hollywood, but also, you know, when it comes to adaptations and uh, other deals and who can write what? And then the other big thing, you know, was streaming, streaming and streaming residuals. How does that play out? Will there ever be transparency in the studios? Transparency feels like, uh, along with AI, that was the headline of the summer. You know, how do we know who's watching what, when, and how do we reward the people who are creating that stuff? Um, so if we start from the top, minimum wise, uh, the WGA was able to get over the next three years of the deal, a 5% raise, 4%, and then three and a half. That's for scheduled minimums, which is pretty amazing. We also, in Feature, were able to secure a two-step deal. For those who are unfamiliar, Features 
you know, that's, that's writing for movies, whether they're theatrical or streaming features for a long time, the way you were paid was, let's say they bought untitled Charles Haynes spec. They'd be like, great, Charles, thanks for this. Now you're done. <laughs> and you don't keep working on it and you're out of there. And, you know, while noisy spec deals would make headlines, you know, stuff for millions of dollars, blah, blah, blah. Most people were signing this stuff away for, let's say, you know, whatever the minimum was, $88,000 or something like that, which sounds like a lot of money, except when you pay agent, manager, lawyer, and taxes, it probably brushes it down to around 45 grand, which is not enough to live on. And then they were just done with you, right? So even if you sold a spec a year at the minimum, you couldn't survive in Los Angeles. So a second step basically requires them to then hire you to do a rewrite on that. The second step will get you paid more money. And that's guaranteed for all feature sales as long as it doesn't cover 200% of the minimum, right? So if let's say the minimum now, I'm not a great math person, but it's around hundred grand. So if you sell your thing for over $200,000, you're not guaranteed a second step. But you know that I think that's up to, I have to, again, read through the fine print here, which we have on our website, but basically saying, you know, if you sell for over that amount of money, they don't have to pay, give you a second step. But at that point, you've made what you would have made with uh, a lesser sale and a smaller deal as well. So really fun there. Feature writers, oftentimes, I think uh, myself being primarily a feature person, feel left behind in these negotiations. So big wins there in the minimum. When it comes to AI, I think the headline is artificial intelligence and scripts written by them can't be considered literary material, right? So what is literary material? Literary material is like, Let's say AI writes a script and it writes, you know, the happiest day of all time by artificial intelligence and Sony buys it and they hire me to come in and write it. Well, literary material would say, okay, you've come in. If that was literary material, you're going to adapt or you're going to rewrite this. We'll pay you less money to work on it. But because AI wrote it or AI came up with the idea, what we're saying is because that's not copyrightable under U.S. copyright law. It's also not literary material, which means studios can't pay a human being to come in and work on something for less money which is amazing. You know, I think that's that's maybe the strongest headline we can go with there. So if a, a studio decides to buy a spec written by AI or generate a spec written by AI, the first human being that gets in there will be charged as the original writer and we'll have, you know, an original writer deal packaged around what that is, which is amazing. You know, I think that's a really big deal in terms of just where the industry is going. And also it will keep executives and studios honest when it comes to, okay, who's generating these things? How is this coming out? And then how is it going to be, how is material going to be dealt with by a human being as we go forward, which is awesome. I want to talk about the second step on the features, but I also, the AI is the big headline because it's the first, you know, obviously we're going to see a lot of labor action around computers and artificial intelligence in the future. And this is the first big one to be like, no, motherfuckers, we're going to do this now. We're going to have this conversation in this moment. We're really lucky that this all came up. You know, if ChatGPT had a better understanding of the WGA, they would have waited on some of their big releases till after the contract was Absolutely. settled. Absolutely, yeah. But it, you know, it lit a fire under a lot of people to make sure that this was very aggressively litigated in this particular contract. And I'm really glad to see it happening now. What's funny is that, you know, in March, April, May, when a lot of this stuff was really all over the news, there was this whole like, and by the end of summer, like at the pace we're iterating, you know, it's going to be, you know, and like I follow all the AI stuff because I'm going to teach a class on AI in creative arts next spring. And like the scripts are still not that interesting. Exactly, <laughs> like it, yeah. It's going to be a long time before like character motivation is something iterative AI can do. You know, it, it's a facsimile of 
something. It's not actually something, <laughs> but but it's nice to see it getting codified in contracts. Now. Absolutely. And, and the language is really strong. We have a whole write-up on No Film School about the language and why it matters and why it really protects writers moving forward, even if there are changes going in. And, and another thing, you know, I, I do feel like maybe at times... <laughs> I read your comments online. I I get your tweets. Maybe we go too hard on AI. And I think the Writers Guild understood that and came back and said, look, we're not saying AI is the devil. Jason Hellerman might say it, but we're not saying it. What they are saying, though, is writers are allowed to use AI in tandem with the companies, you know, as long as they have an open disclosure about that. And companies who are using AI, fine, you're going to do it. Great. But you have to disclose to the writer what materials you're handing them if they were generated by AI or, AI or not. You know, and hopefully we'll be able to just keep tabs on that as, you know, obviously it's a changing world moving forward. There's so many developments. I think even since last week when we talked about AI, ChatGPT, if you pay for it now, is completely current. You know, so if you're asking it, what happened in the news on October 2nd or whatever, like it would be able to tell you. So, you know, those changes, again, will happen no matter what. But the best thing here is that AI is regulated and covered by the MBA, which is amazing. And that AI-generated material is not considered literary material, which is awesome for writers because, A, make sure you get paid the maximum amount when you come in to fix AI drivel. You know, like uh, you said, Charles, if, it's, if they do have a lack of character-motivated document, whatever. And B, you know, I think it keeps creativity in the realm of humanity, which is really important. Important. Look, I played with AI as much as anybody, but maybe more so than most people. And I don't think that writing really creative prompts is creative writing. I, you know, like I don't, I don't see the correlation there. You know, so I am happy this is done, and you know, we can push on AI because the other big thing was minimum staffing, which is something we touched on a couple months ago, but is you know was a sticking point for the WGA and. You know, we should talk about writers' rooms quickly, and then you know what the ramifications of minimum staffing are. Yeah, I mean, I, let's let's talk. Uh, I want to get to minimum staffing because it's huge, and I want to get to second round. But I want to talk about AI a little more because I've been thinking about it a lot lately. You know, there's that great Larry McMurtry. If you haven't read Larry McMurtry's book on writing, it's one of the best. And I'm a big fan of books on writing. Um, read Lonesome Dove too while you're at it. You know? Oh my god! And or all my friends are going to be strangers. A book so yeah. good that back in the days before cell phones, I used to keep a copy in my car. Because it was like, well, if I ever have half an hour to kill, you can literally just open it anywhere and yeah. just like start reading and you'll be fine. And so I, I still have that copy of All My Friends Are Going to Be Strangers. Great book. He has a whole article in his book on writing about why All My Friends Are Going to Be Strangers is utterly unadaptable into a movie. And it's great because like Polly Platt took a crack at it. I've read Polly Platt's draft. Yeah. Polly Platt is like one of the best creative yeah. filmmakers in history. And even her draft suffers from all the problems that he accurately pointed out. And, you know, Larry, Larry Murchie's thing after 40 years of creative art is like fundamentally your biggest job as a screenwriter is making identifiable character motivations. That's it. Yeah. Like audiences want to know why a character is doing something or if they don't understand why a character is doing something, they want to recognize that it is a coherent action the character has taken and they are intrigued to find out why they're doing it, even if they don't understand it yet, which is like what a lot of mystery and tension and suspense rely on. I recognize someone is behaving realistically and I don't know why and I want to know why. And that, that thing takes human beings years to master creating characters that like behave in a series of motivations that make sense. Yeah, you have to live and a that life. thing. You have to live a life, you know, like yeah. to understand how other people live. <laughs> you also need to live. And that's the thing that like, I just can't see 
people keep talking about, well, I don't know, man, if you played with ChatGPT, like it's going to be writing like police procedural soon, like those low end TV shows. And I'm like, actually, I actually think that those like, quote unquote, low end TV shows, the CSIs and Law and Orders actually do a really good job with character motivation. Like sometimes they like might be a little rushed, but like you can watch them and you're like, oh, no, I understand why these people do it. I understand. And like, I feel like ChatGPT is so far from being able to create realistic characters. And like, as we see when anybody responds to any creative work, like as much as I love cinematography and editing, like the thing anybody in the audience cares about is writing. The thing everybody hates about the last seasons of Game of Thrones is characters that they feel like they had a handle on stopped behaving the way that they thought those characters would behave. That is the objection. The last season of Game of Thrones is beautifully shot. Even the dark episode, I will defend. Yeah, But like characters stopped acting like you expect them to act and then it bothers you as an audience for yeah. like normative mainstream work. Right. Well, people and forget I, like the original CSI, like there's so much there. It's not just like, Oh, there's blood and semen everywhere. Like that original season there, like the original show, which again was spun off a hundred times was so popular because people cared so much about the characters, right? The uh, lead guy, he's like searching for his murder, the murder of his sister, right? Like there's so much depth in like what these people are doing. And then didn't Tarantino direct one or two episodes? Uh, I thought he was, I thought he did episodes of medical show in the nineties. Didn't he do ER? Or maybe that was Rodriguez. I'm looking up right now. You can vamp, but it, it is like, I do think we, we just, I think you're right. People think things are too simple. It's actually, there's so much behind it. There's so much writing, even just being on strike and getting to walk the lines. I talked to a lot of people who worked, you know, in those TV procedurals and read some of their pilots and chat with them. It is not easy. Like, it's not easy to have a significant TV show with a hook, a mystery, a solution. And you're, you are correct, you know, absolutely dialed in motivations for these people. It's, you know. Oh, and like uh, act breaks that create real mystery at every act break to pull you through. Like, that is all like all of the accumulated human knowledge. I do think that all of these iterative tools will have use in research. Like I have friends who are sure. writing stuff right now who are like, oh yeah, I'm writing in a medical field that I don't know as well. And I'm using ChatGPT for like research things on like, fi- like it's giving me an easier window into certain research arenas. And I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like that, I- I'm not saying these tools aren't going to be useful, but also a lot of people gave me a hard time for how hard I was on crypto and uh, NFTs. <laughs> and I am so thoroughly vindicated by how hard I was on NFTs and crypto. And I'm going to continue to go as hard at AI because I just don't think it's going to be able to create nuanced characters for a very long time. I think that's a really long way away from the way machine learning tools are being built. But I do think it's an interesting research tool. The point remains, I'm really glad that WGA is out there and saying whether or not it can, because that's the thing, is actually it's more important that we write these contracts if an AI can write these nuanced tools, because we would like to keep writers employed, like the W, the job of the WGA is to protect its writers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about the AI right now, but even once we do, we should use the leverage of you want access to the great writers to keep, to protect all of us. I also have been thinking a lot about the player. If you haven't seen the player, it's a great late eighties, Robert Altman movie. And there's a whole sequence in which one of the studio executives is like, well, guys, we can just get rid of writers. Like, we can just take <laughs> newspaper headlines and make movies from them. And, you know, the point is, is it's actually hard. Like, writing might be the the hardest of the things. Wrestling a story into shape, you know, 
I say this as someone who's done many of the jobs in the entertainment industry and like it is a hard monumental task. So yeah, the player AI, I would really love. Yeah. If ChatGPT could do a remake of the player. Right. <laughs> then Here's your answer to your Tarantino question. Season five episodes, 24, 23 and 24, I think grave danger of CSI written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, a story by credit. What? I'm sure. There was, you know, there's some, but yes. So yeah, exactly. That's like, I don't know. AI, it is what it is. I think it's a, I think it's a fun thing right now, but it, it's not taking our jobs. It's not doing that. And I understand the existential fear of the people who are saying AI could take those procedural jobs. I get it. I'm not criticizing the people who have that worry because I think that is a fair and valid worry. I just don't share that worry because yeah. I don't see the way that technology is going it's necessarily, it's going to change a whole lot of other jobs. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, now we're, and now we've codified that it can't, you know, which I, I think was the biggest thing all along. Like if there is that leap, if, if something does change, you know. Well, and technology has been costing jobs for a while. Like I had a friend, when I moved to LA, I had multiple friends who worked at commercial production companies as visual researchers because they were like art school kids who were really good in the library yep. who like worked professionally making salaries, helping people put together commercial treatments. And then JLo wore that dress to the Grammys or whatever. And in response, Google invented Google Images. And within two years, every commercial director was just expected to do their own yep. pitches. And like, I, I know multiple people who had commercial jobs as visual researchers, and then those jobs went away. So it does happen. <laughs> but that's 20 years before our current wave of AI. That's just search yeah. changed yeah, exactly. that. So like, jobs will evolve writing i don't I, maybe i'm maybe i'm a middle-aged old dude <laughs> i'm so glad to see the wga protections here let's talk about minimum room sizes fuck yeah which is great you know tv rooms right so before there were no let's say limits right you could have you have like the mike white type shows or taylor sheridan you have one person in there writing all the episodes you could have something like a csi or a procedural or let's say maybe you have a dozen people covering 25 episodes or more sitcoms, whatever. But a lot of it, what we've seen in the trend in the industry the past decade is rooms getting smaller and smaller. The places where studios wanted to save money was on writer salaries. And that caused kind of constriction in TV. It was hard for people to get promoted. It was hard to get these rooms to be diverse. When those initiatives started coming in, they're really big deals. So what happened was in response to these shrinking rooms, the WGA in these negotiations came up with an idea, which is basically like, how do we get a room size to make sure that there are minimum staff requirements that apply to each episode order. So, you know, again, you're on strike for a while. Everyone said this wasn't going to happen. This is one of those miracle things that is in the uh, NBA now. But when your show gets greenlit and you have a, a room that you're staffing, now if you have up to six episodes, you have to have three writers or three writer producers. Seven to 12 episodes, you have to have five writers. And again, these are minimums. So you can have more, which is amazing. But minimumly, you have to have these people and then 13 plus episodes, you need to have at least six writers, three of them being writer producers. Basically, there is, you know, they're calling it like the Mike White exemption, which is basically like if you are the sole writer of a show, you can still be the sole writer and that's fine. And, you know, you you move forward from there. I don't like there's so few people who can do that and so few people who want to do that. This is just like a really nice way of saying like you can't force us into something smaller. You can't do whatever. And you know, guaranteeing staffing for more people where, you know, in a world I came off my first TV gig, it was just me and one other writer writing six episodes. It was not, it was hard. You know, it was, it's a fun gig, but it would have been great to have 
more people in that, you know, and under these rules, a six episode series, you know, we would have been able to get at least one other person in there to lighten the load. And that's great moving forward. And it's great for all that stuff. I don't quite understand how that single person exemption thing is supposed to work, right? Because right. like you're Mike White, everybody knows you're Mike White, you can do the one, but like you think of yourself as being the next Mike White, but you're not already Mike White. It's also possible that you are just like feeling the pressure to be like, oh, I'm a single writer because the people want to use that budget for other things. Absolutely. So I, wonder- I, think, I think that loophole exists. Here's the thing. TV is so expensive. That's the one thing I, uh, you know, it, at the Palladium meeting that that was absolutely brought up, Charles, and I'm glad you brought it up here. And you know, I'll try to paraphrase what I heard there. The idea is. It's very hard to make, let's say, 10 episodes of television or even eight or six episodes of television as as one person writing them all and show running and doing everything is is a big chunk of work. It's hard to think that studios, right, HBO and these other Netflix people who are making this kind of, you know, uh, these kind of shows are willing to risk 35, 40 million dollars on what on what that could be. I do think this at least allows those voices to grow because maybe there are there is the next Mike White who wants to do this and, and has success. But I also think these companies will err on the side of caution when it comes to like, look, can you do this alone? Should we bring on another writer producer? Is there someone else we can bring in? I think it encourages that collaboration in a real way because I do think, look, Mike White's the Craig Mason's of the world. Again, Taylor Sheridan, they're making stuff that obviously are supported by the public and people are enjoying and whatever. But it also allows for like, look, I, I do think I, like, I love writing. I, I write very quickly. Maybe I could get in my head that I could do six episodes, but I, but I would like a little help. You know, I think it's, it gives you some room that even if you're hiring staff writers, you're doing whatever, you can bring other people in who are, who are helping with that stuff. You know, and I guess we're going to find out a lot in the next decade of how this will be implicated. I just, I do think the risk is huge for an HBO you know, how much money we're putting into this something. And if you're making a six episode TV show for under $10 million, that's not a real risk anyway. You know, like most of these places that are doing these one things or one-offs are, you know, in a much bigger landscape. And yeah, I guess we're going to find out in real time. I I just think there's so much TV, right? 600 shows last year. Even if it was fiscally smart for them to be like, let's all just make it one writer. It's just an impossibility in terms of, you know, the number of episodes. Obviously, like we just talked about procedurals. They still have a lot of episodes. One person could never do that. Sitcoms, one person could never do that. So, you know, I'm hoping that the ramifications of this are more likely that people are trying this less or hiring more people and then maybe trying a final season alone sort of thing. Um, otherwise, you know, I, I think it leaves room for the proving ground. If there is a singular voice that emerges that wants to do something fine, we can figure it out from there. But um, it's certainly in there. I just think we're going to have to see it. And just understanding the process, I'm hoping um, companies risk don't aren't out there risking 40 million to save uh, <laughs> a little bit of cash. At that point, it's 40 million to save under a million dollars by hiring other writers is uh, is a real, you know, well, I mean, it's penny wise, pound foolish, right? Exactly. The classic expression yes. is like, yeah, if you are willing to spend $40 million on a project, the difference between $300,000 in writers and $600,000 in writers is not the biggest thing to be negotiating on. There's other big moving pieces yeah. there. You might be trying to fight on the budget. I do think, I mean, I can't really think of another mechanism for how this can work other than showrunners opting into it, but I like the minimum room sizes. I think that's a really good thing that yeah. they negotiated for. It also goes back to the thing I'm always harping on, which is my biggest worry about a lot of current recent industry trends 
is the change in ladders, right? Like, yep. you know, the example I bring up way too often is Godfather 2. De Niro got to be a star because you couldn't have Marlon Brando play young Don Corleone. So they had to cast De Niro and it helped elevate him. And then in The Irishman, they just digitally made De Niro younger. Yeah. Which robbed... Adam Driver. That's who it should have been. That's my opinion. Yeah. There's a few people it could have been. Adam Driver would have been interesting. Yeah. some Like something. And yes. I like minimum room sizes because it's going to get us a whole lot more like first year writers and writers on year seven in rooms with people who've been doing it for 20 years. Absolutely. It's going to help them get a reputation, help them gain experience. Cause you know, the writer who's been in, in it for seven years is still going to learn stuff from the people who've been doing it for 20. And that ladder, I'm really excited to see the possibility of that ladder again. Cause I don't, you know, I don't, there are certain people who are just like, come out of wherever fully formed as artists at 24. The sure. vast majority of us need to learn, grow, <laughs> fuck up and repeat. Exactly. And We're not all Orson Welles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also do you, I love Orson Welles, but do you want to go that hard that young? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, then yeah. the rest of it's you're on a downhill. You're taking Rosebud uh, 80 miles an hour downhill. Yeah. So like, I don't, I don't know. I really love that. I love the minimum room size. I was very happy to see that. Cause I didn't think, I don't think anybody thought that that was possible. Yeah. And, no, truly. Yeah. This negotiation was about, you know, if I had to pick a theme, it was making sure that screenwriting didn't turn into, or just writing in general, right. For film and TV, how do we make sure this doesn't turn into a gig, right? How does this not become the Uber of entertainment where you're just showing up when if you're lucky, you get a ride, you know, it's a long ride to the airport, maybe, you know, you know, and then you're off and you're you're waiting again. And that was a distinct worry. And I think rules like that, rules like the second step, minimum room sizes, you know, uh, keeping AI on the ropes, that's going to continue to continue, like keep this a career, a career where you can have a life and a family and do whatever. And, you know, Hollywood is always full of those pressures, but just making sure, again, in the legal language this is codified and is a big deal is it's awesome i mean it's really a nice thing it feels important and it does feel like a win like if you don't work for 140 plus days you want something substantial at the end and this was the substantial thing that we were waiting for and it makes me excited to see where it goes and we on no film school we have a whole write-up on a breakdown of the tentative agreement i would encourage people to check out Adam Conover, you know, Adam's ruins everything. It's been on many different podcasts this week explaining it. The town is one that we talk about on here. Sometimes people should listen to him on that. Just go to his Twitter. Look at this stuff. Check out the points at WGA release or deal points. You could download them on our website, checking out stuff like the guaranteed second step, the new payment in features, which is amazing. I mean, that's just I'll quickly touch on. Now I get, let's say I sell a feature. They hire me to write something. I get 50 percent of the money up front and then 25% nine weeks after I start. And then when I'm done the invoice, the other 25%, which hopefully will cut down on these free producer passes, you know, where you're not doing pass after pass for free because the producer's promising you to get your, get you the rest of your money afterwards. I mean, that's, there's just, there's so much nuance in there. You know, we couldn't possibly cover it all in here. I mean, that palladium thing was, I think, when I was there, like three hours and change of just people talking about deal points as well as clapping for our amazing negotiating committee. So, you know, check it out. There's so many really great things in there, including the pay bumps. And look, if you're an aspiring pre-WGA person, familiarize with yourself with the deals. Make sure no one's trying to take advantage of you. You know, always try to negotiate towards that. And 
yeah, it'll be exciting. And, you know, I, I'm I'm excited for my lawyer. He's got a whole new <laughs> list of things he can ask for. So it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, and getting payment timing is huge. Like, it might not seem like it. If you've not worked in entertainment, the idea of, like, wait a minute, payment timing is being documented might seem crazy. But, <laughs> you know, because normal people, you work, and then you get paid on Fridays, and there's this thing called payday. And, you know, payday is structured enough. Drug dealers can build their schedule around it, yeah. where it's, like, the 1st and 15th. But that's not entertainment. I remember my first entertainment job. Someone's like, yeah, it's going to take us six to nine months to pay you. Sorry, it's not my fault. And like, you know. I sold a script, my first script ever, over a decade ago. But I sold it in November. I got paid at the end of June. And people were like, wow, so fast. Yeah. (laughs) I think about that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's just entertainment. And you get used to it after a while, but it's still shitty. And, you know. And the idea that they were like, no, 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 guys, like, let's work out payment terms and timing. Because frankly, we know, like, studios, they're big companies. They're paying their water bill on time. Yeah. They're paying their real estate taxes on time. There are, yeah. there is cash that is flowing that they are paying properly. So the, it, it, it gets a little insulting when you're like, oh, yeah, but we're just going to pay right. everybody else slowly. Yeah, I, yeah, I won't, I could go into detail on, <laughs> on that. I have no idea what this, I'm looking at the check. I got my first check ever. I have it hanging over my desk. I'm staring at it. And I'm looking at the date and it says I got paid 529, whatever year that was. And I distinctly remember like the, I just typed in the email I got from my old manager saying it sold and it came up and it was like <laughs> November of 2014. So 2014 to May, end of May, 2015 is how long it took to get the script that sold the, the year previously. So it is, it's, you know, just to, again, getting that stuff together. Uh, I didn't get a second step on that script. You know, you start looking at it like, oh, how much money would I, could I have made now? You know, like that sort of thing. And I, I think back to 2015 when I really could have used that second step. So I'm excited for younger writers now who are breaking in, who are getting these things. Uh, it is hard, right? If you choose to work in Hollywood, it is hard. We talk about this a lot. Like the burden of it is uh, immense and your life will change. Or you'll do things later or you'll pivot or have to have a side gig for much longer than you thought or forever, you know, and, and whatever it is. But the fact that we can make it a little bit better for the next people, I think should make us all feel good. I don't, I don't have that. Everyone needs to suffer because I suffered. I would absolutely love for people not to have to work, you know, 11 side jobs or whatever, and to get a second step. So I'm excited for, you know, this deal and also just what it's bringing to the table for people breaking in now. And if you're a listener who's, you know, about to be a writer or working on ideas, you should be elated because uh, things are going to about to be much better for you. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great pivot to our other topic, which is like, what what is Hollywood going to look like now? I mean, we've talked about this a little bit. The 90s had a spec explosion, yeah. at least partially because the 88 strike. I, I wonder if we'll see a spec explosion now. You know what? Nothing. <laughs> My life would be complete if I lived during one of these spec explosions. But, you know, there, there's something to it. It's not just, you know, this sort of misty eyed longing for the 90s. We've just gotten out of this big IP era, right? You know, what's a book? What's a movie? What's a, that we can remake? What's a comic book, et cetera? I do think what we saw this summer, you know, Barbie obviously is, I guess maybe we'll go up for best original screenplay, even though it's adapted from a toy. There's a lot of questions as to where that'll go. Oppenheimer, original, you know, biopic, you know, IP, but not IP. I guess they use the book, but I do think the original spec, speculative screenplays, we've got a great article on Info School, we could read about it. I think they're coming back in fashion. And the main reason is, um, Hollywood hasn't been developing for a long time, right? Development is what, you know, let's say I, Charles is an exec and I go to him for an idea and I'm like, hey, I want to 
write a movie about seven awesome people. And Charles is like, what if we called it the Magnificent Seven? You know, <laughs> and then we go back and forth and then suddenly we've got the genre and we write it from there. What Hollywood's been doing, you know, over the past 25 ish years is trying to buy packages. So it'd be me going to Charles and being like, I've got a movie called The Magnificent Seven. It stars Yul Brenner and blah, blah, blah. Right. He's in the original. I'm trying to remember who else. But, you know, because of the strike, and because we've had no material for the summer, I think what happened was executives at companies all over town started figuring out, well, what's our brand? What do we do well? Who do we want to work with? And now what they're trying to do is a little bit of sort of a hybrid package, hybrid development thing where it's like, really what we need is a script. We need a script or, or a product that's available that we can then attach the people we enjoy working with to. And that's sort of what caused the spec boom in the 90s, right? People were like, we love Bruce Willis. We love... Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, we love these stars. How do we get them in something? Let's buy a Quentin Tarantino movie. Let's buy a Shane Black script. Let's buy this and then work with the people we want to work with. And I do think that's the environment we're going to see now, which would, again would prioritize movies over TV. I think movies are about to have kind of a big comeback. Theaters need it. We need it post-COVID. I think we saw this summer, if you make something good, people will go. It'll go in droves to watch it. And I also think they're... 600 TV shows is a lot, right? It was a lot for people to scroll through a lot of different things. And there's always going to be like a, a little bit of contraction there, no matter what, you know, you, you hit that limit. Also, we forget like these streamers are global now. So like Netflix might be like, yeah, we can house 600 shows, but they can't all be English, <laughs> first language, whatever, you know, we've got to spend other places. So, you know, I'm hoping a spec boom for movies, just places saying what's a completed idea that we can put people we love in or we can work with people we love on or you know buy the next jason hellerman script pay him that second step and then bring on whoever famous you know uh <laughs> emerald Fennell to finish it off whoever it is right that's you know a good model and then we'll give it to so-and-so florence puke and star blah, blah blah like finding those different things and i do think that's going to be the big thing and, and TV maybe a little bit of a contraction just in the amount of shows but I do think the nice thing is because we have this minimum staffing hopefully the same amount of writers employed if not more but maybe fewer shows with more episodes because we saw in the boom of suits this summer people do want to watch a lot of something they're not necessarily just dying to watch look I end of the fucking world one of my favorite shows of all time I think they had like six episode seasons on Netflix and some episodes were like 17 minutes long. I do think there's always going to be room for that. But if we learned anything from this sort of suits phenomenon, it's that people are interested in binging something that's good. That's procedural. You know, we had that sort of peak TV era, mad men and breaking bad and, you know, all the other AMC shows, we forget we're all on one network at one point. <laughs> and, you know, Game of Thrones, things that were expensive and long and hours. And while I still think we'll have those, we're, I think we're probably getting more back into like a middle ground of having those suits, that 90s show, you know, comfort watches. I'm trying to think of even like hour long procedurally stuff that all kind of fits in the same vein, but also, you know, builds out what viewership is and needs a lot of writers to keep the wheels spinning. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that, you know, the end of the fucking world was like classic BBC structure show, right? Like the BBC has always been so good at those. Like, we're just going to do six and yeah. maybe in seven years we'll do another six, <laughs> which I like have always tremendously respected about them. And then we take their six from the American office or no, they did two seasons of six and then a Christmas special. And they were, exactly. and then we were like, we're going to run it for seven years. Yeah. 24 um, episodes a season. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, America. Uh, hey, we're but, getting an office reboot apparently too. That was the, <laughs> that was also I, in the, the strike. I wonder about the spec boom 
in that I want, I still think we're in that thing where it's so hard to build an audience. Yeah. The, the whole, I, I suspect the spec, spec boom will be a spec boom of things that have the potential to franchise. Sure. Like, I still think it'll be the, like, you know, like even going back to that Marty Scorsese interview last week where he was like, yeah, I was getting all this pressure on The Departed that they both have to die because if one of them lived, I could have a sequel, which is ridiculous to think like, all right, well, I could let the Matt Damon character live and then build a sequel on the Matt Damon character exactly. and The Departed. Like, wait, what? Man? I don't want to watch two hours of that guy. I mean, I would watch two hours of that guy golfing without Baldwin, actually. But short of that. Yeah, it's a sports movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe like the John Wick type sequel, you know, like we've bought Untitled, whatever. Yeah, I, I think there's always room. You know, I, I had dinner with an exec last night. We went and saw this amazing Argentine, Argentinian horror movie called When Evil Lurks. I don't know when it's coming out. We saw it at Beyond Fest. Here's like a plug. I thought it was great. If you ever, if you want to write a horror spec, you should run out and watch this movie because I thought it was incredibly solid. But the gist of our conversation was there's always going to be room for sub $10 million horror, you know, and mid-budget action, right? That's Those specs are never going away. You know, they crush at the box office, they're franchisable, and they're smart and low, low cost for what they deliver every single time, you know? But I do think it might be hard if you have your fun indie romantic comedy. It might be hard to get that going. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, your period romantic comedy in the 30s with quirky characters? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that that spec boom is yeah. not. I mean, maybe it is. But look, write the one that's so good that it makes it through the spec bubble. Why yeah, not? and look, and 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 gets the talent caliber that that yeah. can greenlight it no matter what. You know, it's like you, I don't know that that I I loved that Emma remake or you know Redux with Anya Taylor Joy. You know, get get the write the period romantic thing that gets an Anya Taylor Joy, and that will get greenlit. Yeah. You know. A lot of it's still going to be who's directing it, who can we go to, what is that? You know, I had a conversation with my manager last week. You know, things shut down, and now we're back. And I asked, I was like, "What should I expect? Right? <laughs> what What does the town look like? Where are we going?" Uh, and a lot of it was, "Look, man, relax for a little bit. You might have two or three weeks, maybe the next month of relaxing. Uh, mostly because what people are trying to do is figure out what they had going before the strike. If it's still going now, right? What can we complete this year to get stuff going? Every writer's room that was in the middle has to go back shows that we're on the bubble. People are figuring that out. Writers, overall deals, people are cutting them left and right, or they're re upping them. You know, who has an overall, who's getting what, who owes people pilots, blah, blah, blah. All that has to happen when the dust settles. Maybe then it's time to read specs. I don't anticipate the boom. If it happens to be this year, I anticipate it to be like first quarter next year. Everyone's out looking. Um, there might be a little bit of a spending buzz in late October, early November, but Hollywood is sort of cyclical in that after Thanksgiving, things really die down. And then you go to Sundance uh, in January. And then the last week in January into February is when people start reviving. And then March is kind of hot and heavy until you get to May. So and we'll kind of see how that settles out. And, you know, my goal is always, I write this on the site, I feel like, all the time. Just try and have two new specs a year. Get those specs done. I wrote mine this year. I'm going to start the ones for next year. And then we'll see. You know, if I was telling anybody, you know, again, like, younger writer, that's what I would be doing. I would be writing as as much as possible. I think the only way to get forward now, it's not going to be like, I've got a great idea for a movie. Write the movie. Write the great movie. Do that. If you have a great TV show idea, absolutely. Write it. It might just be a sample. You know, whatever. Get some manager's attention. Blah, blah, blah. But 
I think this is the time if you have that great movie idea to write it. No one's buying your log line anymore. That's not what this spec boom is going to be. Not like the 90s. But I do think if you've got that action or that hooky horror thing, you know, when evil lurks, the hook is just amazing. It's just like you're in the near future and so many people have been possessed that every church has shut down. And now people live in these like rural farming communities and it's shot as an indie. I mean, you know, the director said cheap as hell. I don't know what that translates into, you know, but the idea is like there are seven rules to figure out if a sick person is actually possessed. And it's just like, great that you're in, you know what I mean? Like, what are these seven rules? What is it like? Again, like come up with your hooky horror, your action movie that no one's seen before. We, I think we have enough. Probably I say this is someone who recently sold one of these hit men with a cause things. We probably have a lot of those, but like finding out like, what are those normal genre things that you can put your spin on? What's your voice in it? You know, what do you bring to the table and then go from there? That's the only way, you know, I, I do think there's always a little bit of fear after a strike. Well, how quickly will I work again? How quickly will I be paid? You know, and I don't, we don't have answers for that, but I do think Hollywood is looking for original voices with original spins on genre stuff. And if you can figure out what that is, you have a, a better chance of working quicker than, unfortunately, you know, like that sort of voicey indie thing, unless you can raise your own money and, and shoot it outside the system and then, you know, get yeah. based on that. But it's always been that way, right? All right. That's the future Hollywood from Jason Hellerman. Are yeah, you I, hope on, are you, I hope I'm right and wrong, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm still on the Twitter. I, I vowed I'd quit after the strike ends. I'm going to try after SAG AFTRA ends. Yeah, big meeting Try today. again to go cold turkey on the Twitter. They're meeting today, so fingers crossed. So I'm on the Twitter and I'm on the YouTubes. And I shot 35 versus iPhone 15 for some reason. So um, Amazing video. I think one of our more popular articles on the website and also just something that I just sat and watched like three times. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm all in. Right. I'm at Jason Hellerman on Twitter. You can email me, Jason at NoFilmSchool. Dot com. I read all of them, always looking for article ideas or stuff you want to do a deep dive into. If you're looking for a screenplays to download and you can't find them on the internet, I'll search for it. That's how we got that Oppenheimer article up there. So, you know, you you ask, I'll find. I'm happy to be there. And, you know, whatever the future of Hollywood may bring, we're excited. You have any success, reach out. We'd love to have you on the article on the website and hopefully on the podcast someday. I do think it's a little bit of a brave new world. We're rooting for you, SAG. Let's bring it home and get it going. And if you're in a city where there's picketing and SAG still out there, join them. There's going to be a lot of food trucks this week. There's gonna be a lot of fun. So get out there, socialize, network, do whatever. You know, I'm excited to see where it all ends and we'll try to keep you updated. Mm-hmm.